Hello, and welcome to Tea House Talks, the Insurgent Architect's House for Creative Writing podcast series. Today, we present the second half of our interview series of Sonnet Lapé, led by Marjorie Rakunda. My name is Paul Minier, and I am a research assistant for the Tea House Project at the University of Calgary. Tea House is honored to be podcasting to you from Treaty 7 territory. We specifically acknowledge the Blackfoot Confederacy, comprising the Siksika, Pikani, and Kainai First Nations, as well as the Sutina First Nation, comprising the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nations. We acknowledge also the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. In this Part 2 interview, Marjorie Rukunda and Sonnet Lape discuss the book Sonnets Shakespeare, with explorations on poetry, erasure of other texts and of the self, language, music, songwriting, and performance, and how these ideas interconnect through themes of culturally situated embodiment. They share an in-depth conversation on the dynamics between Lape's poetry and songwriting practices, and address BIPOC representation, blackness, anti-racism, and activism, and further discuss matters of self-care, mental health, and well-being. Marjorie Ragunda is a second-year master's student in the Department of English at the University of Calgary. She graduated with a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism and Media Studies and English Literature honors from Rhodes University, South Africa, 2017 and 2018. Marjorie's research interests are post-colonial literature, African popular imaginaries, and female subjectivities in African literature. Sonnet Lape is a mixed-race Black writer, professor, organizer, and emerging musician of Afro-Guyanese, Indo-Guyanese, and Quebecois ancestry, and the author of three collections of poetry, A Strange Relief, Killarno, and Sonnets Shakespeare. Sonnets Shakespeare was a Quill and Choir Book of the Year for 2019, was shortlisted for the Dorothy Livesey Poetry Prize and the Raymond Souster Award, and longlisted for the Pat Lowther Memorial Award. Their chapbook, Anima Canadensis, won the 2017 B.P. Nickel Chapbook Award. Labbe lives on Vancouver Island and is a professor of creative writing and English at Vancouver Island University. This is Marjorie Ragunda with Tea House, and welcome to part two of our interview with Dr. Sonet Leabe. Hello. Before we go into the poetry, at the beginning of Sonet Shakespeare, you informed the reader about your formative and structural choices. And you said that in some poems you have, um, you've created space by erasing your own work. And in some cases, Shakespeare's work has been erased as well. So I guess I wanted to speak to you in terms of why you felt that that was necessary because I know within my own experience as well there are times when you have to explain things and it can get exhausting so I, I wanted to know why you put this there to kind of explain your formative and structure choices. I wanted it to be clear that I was erasing my own thinking that the erasure comes after my own processing of the thought 
or putting thought into language, then I make a decision to not say it. Mm. And so I wanted to distinguish that from potentially erasing before it's even said. Now, there are two main instances of self-erasure. One was using the N-word sometimes or like self-slurs. There are places where I've erased that. And other places are around uh, indigenous language that does not feel like it's mine to use. And the thinking in the book about place and community and, and land and space, it felt absolutely impossible to think about that without thinking about being a body on occupied land, right? Mm -hmm. And to be using English, which I'm, you know, talking about as a colonial language and the fact that I'm making culture, they did do it to, you know, my ancestors, I, I don't speak Urdu, I don't speak, I don't even know what African language it would be that I, that I would speak, but I don't speak those. And the languages that are connected to my experience as racialized here, it just means that I was thinking a lot about language and through the writing of the book had conversations that had me think super deeply, more deeply than I had and showed some of my really cringy spots about engaging with indigenous languages. I don't know how many friends or like interlocutors you've had where, where people are like, that's not my story to tell, or like, I learned this from whoever, but that's not, it's not for me to pass on that teaching. And mm -hmm. so I hoped that that was a way of signaling, like there's a story here, or there's a thought here, there's a word here that, I want to signal that I know it and make space for it, but not be the person authoring it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And this is the last question on the text. And then I want to go into some music stuff, but I wanted to ask you in terms of, I just kind of got some quotations that I feel really spoke to me throughout the work. And it's weird because I'm going to be reading to you your own words. <laughs> so um, the one that I really love, which you wrote in Sonnet 22 and as well as 11, but I want something Western to see itself, to give back all it's taken to see what families are saying. And then that really made me think about like, and I think this kind of also sounds what we've been talking about, pushing back or the idea of dismantling. So I thought if you could speak about the idea of dismantling a text, which I feel like you've kind of done in which the structure that you've, you've used. And also, as well as kind of like writing the racialized self within the specific text, Sonnet Shakespeare. Sorry, that's like two questions in one. But I was thinking around, as you were saying, like someone who's been heavily canonized and like really praised and like here's your text that I feel like should not just be kind of reduced to, oh, this is what you've done to Shakespeare, but there's just like a lot that you've kind of put into the text of writing of yourself and about racialized bodies like myself and their experiences. So I guess I was just thinking about, yeah, that idea of dismantling, whether it was something that you were thinking about when you were writing the text. The idea of speaking back. I think that there are a number of places where what I did 
to the source text and how I worked with it is it's kind of like painting or sculpture or material work in the sense that if I could articulate what needed to be said as a direct speaking back and just be like, I'm identifying who needs to be spoken back to and I'm saying the exact thing that needs to be said to illuminate their psyche and they will be now permanently spoken back to the end. They can never say they were not like, if that was possible, I mean, there's ways in which like just talking about say English in the Academy, there's a, there's an acute talk that I'll be on a panel of where we talk about whether or not we should be calling the department, the English department and future of the English department. All <laughs> like those kinds of conversations are a way of speaking back. But I was trying to grapple with like, where is this conversation taking place? Like, is this all in my own imagination? And where is the Western gaze that I'm working with? Is it not within myself? Like there's another poem where I talk about trying to write over Shakespeare and the way that Shakespeare like doesn't give over and like, mm. what am I even doing? And, and also even the, the way that Western arts have praised and, and valued individual achievement and that the book as an object is a pretty individualist endeavor and wanting to be like recognized as a, as a, a voice worth reading, all of that. I think that the form itself of trying to take something by the shoulders and be like, I want you to understand. I want you to like change. I also want you to shut up for a second. All of that is involved with, or is made more gestural in the form. Like you can see me trying to, you can see me trying to um, find words, right? Mm -hmm. And the way that this particular procedure wove but at the same time silenced you know it's not even dualities it, it was just so satisfying to me mm. to work in that way it just felt like the right thing to do that's why I started with the image of the students painting over the Rudyard Kipling poem that that gesture of entirely erasing like I wanted to acknowledge that impulse that feeling of not needing that version of literature hanging over your head and but wanting to replace it with Maya Angelou for me is there's still some problematic stuff there because you're you're still taking one thing and putting it up in the same place and painting over and so in a way that is that Rudyard Kipling still underneath the surface or if you just put up a different statue to pull down the old statue put up a new statue those are the things I wanted to think about because those impulses to tear it all down are there. At the same time, you can't erase history. I mean, people try, <laughs> right? Yeah, people do try. Yeah. So it's about how do we tell those stories and to what end? So yeah, I don't know if that's answering your question about dismantling or not. No, I think it is. I think you've answered it in your own way because I, I know that it's also such a it's such a broad question because people just do it differently. And I think that's what I was interested in. And yeah, I really appreciate your response. I think you've answered it quite well. Now kind of segueing into music. In one of the sonnets, I think it was Sonnet 8, you break down your musical inspirations. I just wanted to know in terms of your writing, 
also go back to a strange relief if you'd like to, but what's some of the music you listen to while you're in the writing process and who are your musical inspirations? Hmm. I never listen to music while I'm writing or, <laughs> or reading poetry because poetry is so, so musical. I have to be able to hear what I'm doing. Hmm. But I think I really, through this book, was like, wow, you really, you know, you really dig music, on it. Like it was sort of, I didn't go to a ton of concerts when I was in undergrad. I wasn't like a live music fiend and people would shove mixtapes at me. I never shoved mixtapes at anybody. Like, in fact, I, I feel like that part of late adolescence is, is happening to me now. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, this is why people get like, you know, really stan particular musicians and stuff. I had a moment like in that poem, I think I write about a moment that I had as a kid where I was like, oh, music is God. It's hard to explain, but I had this moment of kind of being able to conceptually hold all of the physics of music in my head and the physiology of our bodies and emotion as phenomena all in my head at the same time. I was like, wow. So these are just wavelengths, like air is being moved at a certain frequency. And then if you mathematically put two frequencies together, their ratios are varyingly pleasing to our physiological thingness that we are, that are made to be able to hear that, mm. right? And that those melodies and rhythms are connected to our emotional lives. And it's basically ratios of air movement. Like, ah, I was <laughs> like, oh my God, like that is God. I don't care about this Christian like version of it. You know, I was just like, we are mind blowingly phenomenal. Mm. And that sense of our phenomenality informs how I feel about language as well, because language is just shaped breath. It is sound, it's music. And then our texts, like our alphabet or other alphabets are just notation of that music. And then we create entire stories out of music. So, I mean, in that way, there's a way in which almost all music inspires me. Like I'm not genre specific. I have this very untutored snobbiness where I'm just like, that's really good. That's it. That's really good. That's it. And I love Johnny Cash and Dolly Parton. And there's some country stuff that I like. I like KRS-One. I like Megan Thee Stallion. I like Mulatto. I'm like, how, how come her name is Mulatto? Like, that's a femme. <laughs> Mulatto? I don't know, because she, she said she's been trying to change it, but I think it's already kind of set in stone that she's kind oh. of afraid that she, if she changes it, no one's going to know who she is. Oh. So. Hmm. I didn't know that she was trying to change it, but like, I love listening to hip hop. Uh, and I'm not by no means, I'm not very schooled. Like I was on this list the other day of like the greatest of all time rap artists for the past 20 years. And half of them, I didn't even know. I was like, <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, my hip hop vocabulary is pretty mainstream, but I get a lot out of that. I, I did sometimes conceptualize the book as a yoga, like a breath yoga, but I mm. also conceptualized it as hip hop for me, just for me, you know. I had hoped that Drake would somehow see this book. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I love that you say that even when I was reading these like language that you use and I'm like you're talking to like your homie and it's interesting to see that in a poetry book I felt like in terms of your language you didn't really limit yourself and I wish that I could remember particular words but there's just some when I was reading them and I was just like this is how I talk every day and like sometimes when you're thinking about writing or particularly poetry it's kind of like you're saying oh what word can I use that's like fancy and british and like when someone's going to read it they're like oh she writes really well but I think what I loved about yours it was just like talking to a friend like that's why I said it felt like reading your journal and I felt that there were a lot of hip hop references and that's why I really loved Sonnet 8 cuz you were just kind of breaking down your musical inspirations and it's rare to see that in a book of poetry. Oh. Thanks. I mean, you know, Lauren Hill's like I treat this like my thesis, well-written topic broken down into pieces. That's one of her lines. And to be able to write the miseducation of Lauren Hill or Kendrick Lamar's work is very inspiring to me right now. Like I kind of want to go hard on that. I'm reading Blues Legacies and Black Feminism. Right? Like I'm just really interested in all of the alternatives to Shakespearean tradition. Like the tradition that I have been schooled in is a British lyric tradition and my intervention really has been kind of into that tradition. When I listen to like Lillian Allen speak and she talks about dub as coming up from reggae like that's a tradition that's coming from an entirely different place and my own access to say calypso i hope that shows up a little bit there's a whole poem about calypsos later in the book but that's the direction i'm going in is more towards that these days even though you know i like to talking heads too <laughs> yeah because like in one of the sonnets you start off with my body is so bomb i can't stand it holy hassle of curves holy battle of coco loves i am royal like that sounds like a bar it sounds like a rapper yay and definitely rap that so i'm glad you also um, referenced lillian allen like just seeing those kind of performances and with hip hop as well just kind of seeing the ways in which sorry i'm going to use this word again but you know dismantling language and using language in your own way however you want i think it's just such a beautiful thing and i think it's really what i appreciate at the most about your work and also why i really asked about music because i i felt like it just really came through and i'm curious whether you perform some of these poems musically ever live whether you read from them and just don't just read or like whether you want to rap them alone <laughs> I have not done anything like super performative other than reading them I've done a couple of recordings that were strictly audio that felt more performative because I wasn't just reading them like this or at a reading but picking certain lines from it and trying to maybe produce stuff I've taken the babyest of steps towards doing that I was setting up my studio I I don't have it set up yet like I've now thrifted all of the things for a makeshift recording studio here mm-hmm. and to be able to produce beats and stuff. And so like I've got a poem from Kalarno where I like, you know, started the drum thing and then played some guitar and like and layered it and then read stuff from Kalarno over it. So I think that's coming. 
part of me was said, you know, said to like this, an ex-boyfriend of mine, I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm done. I'm done mining my trauma. <laughs> I'm done. But I'm not done surviving. Like to talk about the stuff that we were like talking about earlier. I'm, I'm not done surviving. The surviving keeps happening. There's still shit to survive every day. Like <laughs> when I decide, oh, I'm going to be done with that. My body is still the same body that still has the same history. And I'm still going to go out and like randomly a conversation's going to happen or something's going to come up in something in teaching that pings all of that history hmm. and i still will respond from this nervous system that has had my experiences and so the management of living as a racialized body on this land that's not going to go away so i'm trying hmm. to make peace with that <laughs> i'm trying to like because I was thinking, is there a way to write songs where I'm just like, I'm uplifting? I don't want to be a downer forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, I wish I could tell you, but I feel like, I think it goes back to what you said, just saying things the way they are, really. That maybe can be inspirational for some people. Like, you know, Sonette came out and said that this was just like racist. And for me, that inspired me to also be like, this experience I had was racist. So it's kind of like, I appreciate that you've said that because I do feel like with ourselves as racialized bodies, we do always have that pressure of like, at what point do you stop talking about it and just kind of start like talking about like more positive things and kind of uplift as well as you're saying. But I think that you can still just say it as it is and it can still be uplifting to whoever is listening to it, I guess. So I just think that you kind of have to just say what you need to say. Well, that's what therapy says. You got to honor your actual feelings, right? Yeah. Like, so the connection, like the connection of my actual feelings to voicing it has been mediated by the page, mm. right? There's a lot of safety in going off, sitting alone at the computer, putting it all down. It's like a huge subtweet. Singing is like you're accessing the thing that moms do with their babies to try to calm them down. And you're working with that. So to try to take the stuff, the emotional material that's in Sonnet Shakespeare and try to translate it to songs, I am very interested in that. So maybe part of the process, it might just be me practicing learning how to produce music to take lines from the poems. Like you identified that one as like, oh, that could be a bar. That feeling is there for me too. Sometimes when I reread the work, I'm like, no, oh, that sounds like a you could sing that like that sounds like a little chunk of a, of a song so mm. I, I am interested in in playing with that yeah and I think you you spoke about the guitar and maybe the guitar could be you know that soothing instrument <laughs> that kind of when you're still talking about your own trauma I guess sometimes I think listening to a song that's heavy there are times when the beat and like the instrument kind of helps to balance it all out in a way I guess I guess like, as you're saying, to make it less, like where you're like, I don't want to keep like repeating and, and singing about my trauma or talking about my trauma. But I think, I think sometimes the beauty with music is that you have so much to work with and many ways to kind of produce what you're trying to say. So I don't know, I think I've just been thinking while you were talking that maybe your guitar can be that kind of soothing instrument. We'll see, we'll see. What rhymes with right supremacy? Mm. <laughs> yeah. 
partially, it's partially like, as I've taught myself, like I am teaching myself from a singer songwriter dimension, like there's the, the part that's like, I'm going to produce some beats. And then there's the other part that's like, I'm going to play guitar and like learn some Joni Mitchell. I sing a ton <laughs> of Joni Mitchell, uh, a little bit of Tracy Chapman, but as far as like complex vocals that teach my voice how to move, I think of Phoebe in Friends. I don't know if you ever watched Friends. She used to play guitar at a cafe. And uh, I'm trying to reconcile that it's almost like the lyric verse of song form. I'm like, I am working in the in the whitest, lyricist, blondest of like, you know, flower power modes. If I'm just sitting here strumming a guitar and going out to the open mics and singing Joni Mitchell, literally, as my cover. But I'm excited. I do get excited and this is how I maintain my mental health, right? Like I search and I talk and I talk to myself until I get to the point where I'm kind of, where my emotions are kind of like this. And I'm like, oh, wouldn't that be dope? Wouldn't that be dope? If you could get like the lyric kind of clarity of the singer songwriter, that kind of lyric clarity and that kind of, that kind of pleasure to have that be about the kinds of things that we talk about in here. And in the world of poetry, I am by far not the only person to talk about these experiences, but I don't hear in hip hop, the stuff about, you know, being in an institution or like, mm. you know, like how can I be a strong black female voice that's not just being like, I am so wealthy, bow down to my wealth. Mm and talk about what it is to just be a regular human being dealing with blackness. And I also, you know, I'm not in an environment where people are getting shot and killed on the daily. Like, mm. like a lot of hip hop artists were coming out of neighborhoods where they could speak about their experience and it'd be that. Mm. And so that kind of urban storytelling, it just feels like rap has gotten particularly kind of coded Mm -hmm. what you can talk about so I get excited about the potential of those genres being blended I actually have so little faith in like if you think universities are bad as far as like <laughs> supporting the reality of black people wanting to speak to power I cannot imagine the network of producer dudes mm. <laughs> like that I am just slowly I'm like oh who's gonna who's gonna support that maybe no one but again I tell myself why am I here why am I even here why am I living in Nanaimo and I'm like because because professor job because poet job because you you can be a poet I'm like okay right so what am I gonna do with it and if I have a little bit of space to create what I still consider poetry, right? Create music that absolutely would not survive having to hustle mm -hmm. to go and make my living on gigs and touring. I just would not be able to make that music. Yeah. Yeah. So. And I'm glad that you say that because I know this conversations also have been had in terms of, you know, when everyone was saying with the current female hip hop rap, why is everyone just kind of rapping about sex? Why are all the females rapping about the same thing? Don't they have anything else to talk about? But 
I think Cardi B came out and said, well, you don't want to listen to anything else. And I think, as you're saying, we're living in this world where the way we listen to music has changed in which like an artist, you're very aware or listeners are making it known what they like to listen to, not verbally, but streaming wise, it's what they stream. So that's how you know what sells. Or as you're saying, going into a room as a female rapper and you're working with a male producer and he says, well, you want to go and and rap about your experience and feminism and intersectionality. And they're like, what is that? That is not going to sell on this beat. (laughs) Like that's not going to make us money. So I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that it is something that you have to navigate. Unfortunately, I wish we didn't have to, but. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the space will be for my work because it won't sit nicely in, in literary spaces. It won't sit nicely in any kind of commercial space, but. I mean, what else is there to do to survive except to get up and honor one's creative impulses? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could write another book of poetry that would be expected and probably safe to do. And maybe I will still do that. But I am still like a nerd. I am still like very wordy and like PhD type thinker. And so (laughs) when I do this stuff, I am doing it with this sense of like, Ooh, the like the connections of voice and embodiment and like there's stuff to write about but kind of like the way that the form of sonnet shakespeare is its own thing and it was like the talking about it happens afterwards you know like this conversation that we're having happens after having made the thing that's how i'm feeling about putting tones on my lyrics on my speaking on the singing it's just That's the form that the impulse wants to take. And once I actually produce something worth talking about, I'll talk about it on the other side of it. I will say though that I'm pretty proud of the song that I wrote for Nanaimo. The city of Nanaimo had an initiative that a lot of cities, the kind of thing that cities do, where they're like, we need to consult the city to find out what we should do for the next 20 years. Like, let's do a little consultation process and ask people, put out a survey. So Nanaimo did that. And the person in charge of that initiative is also a like, culture person and, and asked some people around Nanaimo artists to contribute their own vision as if they were kind of taking this survey of what Nanaimo should be, but to, to have a creative response and that that would be part of the city's campaign to engage people. So the people who approached me knew me as a poet and I was like, can I write a song instead? And they were like, yes, you can do that. So I wrote a song and it did fine. And it's a very lyric, like someone even called it country. Someone on my Facebook page, when they heard me putting beats to my Kalarno thing, they said, hey, that's so much cooler than your country thing that you did. And in my mind, I was like, that was just so much more legible to you as a black woman that I put beats on my and as a piece of political art I feel like my country song that got like a hundred white people who hadn't thought about it to think about what the experience of a black person in Nanaimo is I'm way prouder Mm. of that so I mean, maybe my songs will sound like hokey to people who 
I don't know. I don't know. I just like, for me, it's about, I'm always really interested in placing a message in a particular space. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's beautiful, especially that particular genre as well that doesn't make space at all for at least Black people, really. So I do think that the way that you've said it in terms of the message, I think that that's really important. And I really hope that you continue practicing that. And I really look forward to listening to some of the the music that you create. I think it's important and I really do think that you should please (laughs) release it no matter what it sounds like no matter what the message is because I think that where it kind of like as you said with this particular one it will find its space and that message will go out there which I think is at least for me the most important thing I'm gonna keep like the Sephora thing that I keep in my head and revisit I now have a nice visual of (laughs) you saying you know, sometimes the beat, if you just tell it like it is, the beat will make it okay. Or like the guitar can make it okay. Because thinking about being in this environment, it makes it feel like that I'm writing for no one but myself. And that is no longer useful for me. I think a lot of Sonnet Shakespeare, I was able to get through it feeling as though I was doing it for myself. And by the end of the book, I hope that that's in part there, like my isolation and Mm. that in the isolation, I come repeatedly back to community, community. I can't do this alone. I hope that that's part of what's there in the journaling experience of the book. And I've got a lot of practice doing things sort of just for me, but now that just feels pointless now. Like if I cannot imagine someone else pressing play you know (laughs) like if if there's nobody else doing that if nobody else is head nodding then there's no point yeah and I guess that going to end because I I don't want to keep you but I think it kind of goes back to what we were speaking about in the beginning about space and I think just as you were speaking I also thought about just I know people usually say representation matters but in terms of what you're saying in terms of your own creativity having to be able to have kind of those people to fall through, to be like, I get it. Like, I just get it. That really matters. And I think the nice way that you've put it is in seeing how just exhausting it could be not to see someone else that looks like like you in an environment, to live within that space. It's exhausting. And it's exhausting to kind of explain to people why representation matters, why you should hire more Black faculty or why you should hire more BIPOC faculty. Because I think people don't understand how just kind of tying in, as you say, that strain on your own mental health, on your own creativity, as you say, because to me, even as you speak, it's painful to listen to you say, I get to a point when that's not enough for me anymore. I want to be able to have that audience or to have those people that just say, I get it. But I wanted to put a, that out there, that I get it. But one of the meditations that I've done recently, and there's this, this great app called Liberate that's all BIPOC um, meditation leaders. They talked about, like, if you feel this way, just to, just to end it on a note for if there's other people out there creating and they're feeling isolated, the meditation mm-hmm. was, if you have a feeling then you can be sure that there are other people in the world who feel like you because you're, you know, you're a human being, 
and you're going to have the feelings that make sense based on the experiences that you've had. So even if you feel as though you're the only person you know that's feeling this way, in the meditation, drop down into knowing that there are other people out there who are feeling the exact same things. And so that is what I try to, to tap into and have faith in that. That's really beautiful. And I think that's a really beautiful way of kind of closing the interview. But the one last thing I just wanted to ask you is where can people find you in case people are looking for your work? I am on Instagram. It's just Sonnet Labe, all one word. That's probably the best way to find me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Thank you, Marjorie. This was, this was a lovely, expansive and really lush interview and experience for me. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed parts one and two of our interview series of Sonnet Labay by Marjorie Rogunda. I'm Paul Minier, and you're listening to Tea House Talks. Tea House recognizes the generous support of the Canada Research Chairs Program and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council. We also appreciate the support of the Faculty of Arts and the Department of English at the University of Calgary, where our offices are housed, as well as the guidance of Mark Stuckel at the Taylor Family Digital Library. Tea House is run by Larissa Lai, Mahmoud Ababne, Rebecca Jelaine, Paul Minier, Joshua Whitehead, Ryan Stern, Mark Lynch, and Marjorie Rogunda. Our music is Monarch of the Streets by Loyalty Freak Music. Stay tuned for the next episode of Tea House Talks. For more on the work of Tea House, including symposia, panels, and readings, please check out our website at www.tiahouse.com. If you'd like to be in touch, send us an email at tiahouseyyc at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>